0: Good morning, Auspicious Cloud West Assembly, Auspicious Cloud East Assembly, and those from all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) The place we call Jambudvipa our world system where there's some trouble, some discontent, and therefore Buddhas appear in this realm to help free us They teach us practices we can take up to help free ourselves and others. And this weekend we're exploring some contemplations that give rise to the aspiration to practice the Buddha way for the benefit of all beings. Contemplations that motivate our practice that may fuel our wholehearted endeavor in the way. For those of us just starting practice without knowing much about Buddha Dharma, I think if we take these somewhat simple contemplations to heart, understand what they mean and take them to heart. They are an encouragement to even begin practice. And for those of us who've been practicing uh, for a while, they also help reinvigorate and sustain our practice. They remind us why we're doing this in the first place. I feel they're, they're quite helpful. We have to kind of take them, take them in, take them personally. Not just as some um, teaching we've heard many times before, but really reflect on these contemplations. And uh, the four are the four contemplations to arouse our aspiration to practice, are reflecting on the rare opportunity of human life, such a precious gift, so rare, so fortunate, easy to take for granted, but when we appreciate how rare and fortunate this situation of human life is that we don't want to waste it and we reflect on the impermanence of this life it's a rare fortunate gift but it's quickly passing so let's not postpone our wholehearted practice for some other time later there may not be any later. And we may not have such an opportunity again. Not only to be human, but to come across such liberating teachings. So fortunate and blessed we are. Not randomly, this didn't randomly arise, this fortunate human life, but um, it's taught that it came to be through good karmic actions in the past before this human life. And you could say encountering the Dharma in this life came to be through fortunate karmic uh, activities in this life. I think if you reflect on how you discovered Dharma in this life, I bet that you could think of some stories where you were involved in some wholesome activity, which could have been just open-mindedness. It could have been hanging out with good people who knew about such a practice. uh, Some good actions led us to this practice. So that's the third contemplation is contemplating that, cause and effect of our karmic intentions, our intentional actions, we call karma. And we reflect on our wholesome intentions of body speech and mind, our actions of body speech and mind, lead to happy results for ourselves and others and uh, harmful intentions and actions of body, speech and mind lead to unhappy results for ourselves and others. Kind of a realistic remembering of how the situation works and how we're uh, need to pay attention, be careful. That's the contemplation of karma. maybe you can see how these three go together yeah we have a we have this fortunate rare opportunity of human life and this very rare life is quickly passing it's impermanent and within this quickly passing life that we have left everything we do makes a difference and has an effect on on others but also on this causal series of experiences we call a person the effects come back to the same causal series it's a it's a kind of further and further deeper um, investigation into the kind of human predicament It's not so much about good or bad, it's just a realistic look at the situation we're in uh, can be quite motivating, I think, to practice. And the fourth and final contemplation on this list is uh, contemplating the unsatisfactory nature of habitual grasping As a fortunate human being with an impermanent life where everything makes a difference, in the midst of this situation, we um, we hold on to things, thoughts, ideas, emotions. And uh, we either hold on or we're averse to and grasping an aversion is not satisfying That's the, the Buddha's definition of dissatisfaction. Sometimes we call it suffering. But dissatisfaction goes a little bit deeper, I feel. We might feel that, well, I'm not really suffering right now. But if we say am I totally, totally content and satisfied? all the time. Most of us could probably say, no, not really. There's there's a dissatisfying quality to um, habitual grasping, self-centered grasping. The Sanskrit term for this is samsara. Means something like cycling, revolving, cyclic existence it keeps repeating these same patterns that's why I, i think we can we can think of samsara as like a habitual it's a habitual thing meaning like habits are something that keep repeating themselves due to conditioning that's what samsara basically is and it's not like um habitual selfless love When we're talking about samsara, it's habitual kind of um, grasping, aversion, or identification with this um, separate self, what seems to be a separate self. The Buddha, in his very first teaching, defined discontent dukkha. suffering. He said birth is discontent, unsatisfying. Uh, Aging, sickness, death are dissatisfying. Uh, Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are unsatisfying. They're not contentment. Being with people or things we don't want to be with is discontent. Being apart from those we want to be with is discontent. Not getting what we want is discontent. We all know this stuff. We all experienced these things. Basic uh, definition of discontent, as we might guess. Uh, But then interestingly, in this Buddha's first sutra, where he defines this. He says, in brief, all these things on this list, birth, old age, sickness and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, not getting what we want, and so on. In brief, what are all these experiences? They are grasping the five aggregates which is a little less straightforward than, than the list of experiences we can all relate to. But it's kind of like summing it up from in kind of Buddha language, grasping the five aggregates. We could just say, um, five aggregates, body and mind, body thoughts and feelings and so on that we, uh, we think of as ourself, holding on to uh, body feelings, perceptions, habit patterns, thoughts, holding on to them, we could say grasping them, or another way to put it, I would propose is Identifying with this body and mind experience. Identify means um, to be identified with something, means to be identical to it. It means to be the same as. So identifying with this body and mind means to think that I am this body and mind experience of the moment. I think it's another way of talking about it. grasping body and mind means it's to it's to um think feel and act as if I am this collection of body feelings thoughts emotions and even moment to moment uh conscious uh, experiences of any kind. This is this identification with this, this person is uh, unsatisfying. (laughs) The Buddha says, that's a big proposition, I think. But it also gives a clue of how it might be possible to um, not be caught in the discontent? Do we have to identify with this body feeling thought um, collection as our true self? Seems like, well, what, what alternatives do we have? that's what the Buddha seemed to be looking for. He set out on his quest. And why is this contemplating the dissatisfactory nature of of habitual grasping, we could just say of all conditioned experience, if we want to like, push it to the limits. I don't think the Buddha would mind putting it this way, all conditioned experiences are, um, uh, if we identify with them as ourselves, are ultimately unsatisfying, they're impermanent, they're, they're um, not really who we are, and they're um, not ultimately and stably satisfying. Buddha says there's the discontent of discontent. That's why um, that's kind of obvious. That's like uh, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair are discontent. And the Buddha say, by the way, those are discontent. That's the discontent of discontent. That's just a way of saying the obvious. But the Buddha also says, there's the discontent of content. There's the discontent of being content. And I think in this case he means the conditioned contentment of like I've just had a great breakfast and the sun's coming out. I feel great. I'm I'm content right now, but um, but this is an impermanent thing because pretty soon I'm going to be hungry again, and the clouds are going to come in. <laughs> so uh, it's conditioned contentment, and the Buddha quite radically and. Almost like a slap in the face. Says, by the way, there's the discontent of contentment, of conditioned contentment. It's not really reliable contentment. Buddha seemed to have this high standard. Of course, he was content sometimes, but he's like, I'm looking for something reliable. It's not just dependent on um, on a great breakfast and the sun shining. And uh, and the Buddha said, not only there's the discontent of discontent and the discontent of contentment, but there's the discontent of just being a conditioned sentient being. Whether we're content or discontent, just to live in this world of changing conditioned experience is, uh, is itself ultimately not completely satisfying because we're subject to um, all kinds of ex- experiences outside our control. So uh, this, this reflection, this contemplation on um, the kind of pervasiveness of discontent, um, we might say, this is going like, to help our practice, this is going to like fuel our practice, it sounds just like it will fuel our depression, and and uh, and kind of maybe even make us like hopeless. Well, if that's the case, if our conditioned experience is is um, not ultimately satisfying, um, there's no hope, right? What, what can there's no there's nothing we, there's nothing that's not our conditioned experience, right? How can we ever be free? I mean, the Buddha, is the Buddha offering some practice and realization of that which is not just conditioned experience? That sounds crazy, (laughs) but actually, I think that is what the Buddha is offering. Of course, when we're n- not content, we, um, we can and do try to make the best of it. But naturally, we all try to make the best of it. And um, that's appropriate. Of course, we don't want to make it worse. Uh, and I think that's what most people will spend their lives doing, is um, trying to make the best of it. of samsara. And um, some people are somewhat successful and some are not very successful. Uh, But nobody is completely successful, I think is what the Buddha is saying. If we're trying to, um, you know, maximize the contentment within this conditioned, um, human life, uh it'll never be completely satisfying. It's a real I say it's like a slap in the face because it's like that's we don't want to think about this. We want to make the best of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really he was such a kind of realistic character, Buddha. <laughs> Let's take a good look at, at the situation we're in, realistically. And, uh, and if you left us with that, left us with, with a very um, fortunate, rare human life that's quickly passing, where everything makes a difference, but everything within this conditioned human life is ultimately dissatisfying. If you just left us with that story alone, it, would, um, it wouldn't be a great, such a great story. I don't think it wouldn't have become a popular story. <laughs> it, it's um, kind of a sad story. But luckily, that's not the whole story, right? Buddha said there's, there is discontent in this life. And there's the cessation of discontent. There's the possibility The Buddhas and ancestors offer this possibility of uh, the end of discontent. But then they very radically tell us that this end of discontent is not going to be found in any conditioned experience. That's a tough one. But maybe many of us already have this intuition that we've tried maximizing contentment in every conditioned experience. And even the best ones are uh, the discontent of contentment, because they're they don't last, they're impermanent. So in this way, I think reflecting on our um, discontent situation, I find really is like good motivation to to practice deeply to practice more and more deeply. As long as we remember, there's a possibility of the end of discontent. And there's many practices that like are approaching the the end of discontent, even within the conditioned realm of human life, more conventional practices we can do. Like, like when we're um, having a hard time, we feel quite discontent. We have practices like deep acceptance, like usually what discontent is, often is, is a kind of resistance to what's happening, right? So we can kind of like reverse that process a little bit by just, let's just fully um, receive what's happening and, uh, and accept it as wholeheartedly as we can. At least not add resistance to the resistance. And I think all of us know sometimes we can do that and it really does help. if we're having resistance to resistance to resistance, I was talking to somebody today about like we um, sometimes resist, uh, we resist. And then some of, at least I have this experience as a Zen practitioner, I notice I'm resisting and then I kind of feel like I'm like a bad practitioner. It's like a special kind of suffering being a Zen practitioner that other people don't have. They're just like, I'm just resisting. But I know I'm resisting and like, kind of like, I know the Buddha doesn't recommend this. And I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a, like, I'm, I'm a disciple of the Buddha, and I'm not following his instruction. So I feel even worse now, like compounding my discontent. So um, all of that, if we're have, if we're resisting resistance to resistance to resistance to resistance, we can stop at any point and just like, okay, I just accept the whole situation. It's okay. I, I mean, I'm, I want to, I intend to, this is a karmic action of, of uh, a decision of the mind and intention. I wish to um, just receive what's happening. And it's wholesome karma. It, uh, it uh, leads to a happy, happier result doesn't it, Y'all this. So it's pretty good. That's like an example of a conventional practice within the conditioned realm or it, uh, it um, maybe maybe one of the best, maybe the best kind of practice in the conditioned realms, a complete acceptance of what's happening. But um, sometimes it's we're It doesn't completely relieve the discontent. And it's a practice that we have to keep remembering to do, just accept this, just accept it. And we keep forgetting and fall back into discontent. So uh, it's pretty good, but uh, the Buddha offered even more. Even though we talk about that practice of acceptance quite a bit, It doesn't show up so much in those early sutras, or most any sutras I can think of, interestingly, it's maybe a newer discovery. We we can maybe do find it in in Zen teachings of Dogen and so on. But and I think that for any, any deeper practices, this is like a kind of prerequisite. First, we just really stop and be with what's happening. That's like acceptance. That's the we don't want to um, look into anything more complex or um, subtle without first stopping and just being with what's happening. That's the bottom line. But then um, could it be that there's the a, a possibility of contentment that's not conditioned? That's the, that's the big one. That's the unique teaching of the Buddha—an unconditioned peace. And uh, sometimes we hear about that kind of thing and think, uh, "Sounds great. I trust. I trust the Buddha. Must be. Must be possible." But uh, I don't think I have any access to to that kind of unconditioned peace in this lifetime. Some practitioners might even feel this. But uh, I would say it, it doesn't have to be something so far-reaching, so um, so abstract and uh, only reserved for Buddhas. Could there be an unconditioned realm of contentment, which means unconditioned contentment, that that us ordinary people have some access to? So if we feel sufficiently um, inspired by these four contemplations, on the um, the messy situation of of uh, conditioned human life, then we could we could explore uh, such a possibility of the unconditioned contentment and uh, and I say this because if we don't really have the motivation for it, we don't feel like sufficiently dissatisfied with dissatisfaction then um, it's maybe not going to go that deep that's why we could spend a long time contemplating these four reflections on on how um, it is so that this is a a rare precious opportunity of human life it's impermanent, quickly passing it's it's, it's Subjects to cause and effect, and it's all of it is ultimately dissatisfying, as I mentioned, Tibetan tradition spend maybe years just contemplating this for before they hear about things like i 'm about to mention so i don 't know if it's appropriate to mention to talk about the unconditioned. Um, without really deeply contemplating these four things. But um, since uh, this is the last talk we have this weekend, (laughs) um, I trust that you can take these four contemplations home and practice them for the rest of your life um, alongside exploring the unconditioned. They really are, I think, fuel for deep exploration and motivated, enthusiastic exploration of the unconditioned. Because if we we lose enthusiasm for this, um, it's going to seem like too much work. So if we have a little bit of enthusiasm right now, because we're here in this um, perfect setting for practice, One way we could talk about the unconditioned is uh, this very ordinary awareness that's present right now that we all share. All of us uh, are aware right now, I propose, um, yeah not like i can read your mind or something but i actually um pretty sure you're all aware i mean that kind of awareness that's um always present you might be totally distracted and not listening to any of these words but um thinking about what you're going to do later this afternoon or something but even so you're completely aware that this awareness that uh that I'm speaking of now, is the one that's always present. Whether we're completely distracted, um, super alert, in deep samadhi, totally confused, in great joy, in total despair, in raging anger, um, half asleep, even completely asleep, I would propose. This this, um, ordinary awareness Ordinary because it's always the case and it's always the same and it's not fancy. (laughs) It's plain. It's always, it's always here. Could it be that this is the case? That the awareness that's present right now um, for each of us is. is always aware. If we say that it's always aware, uh, that's starting to get into the territory of like, it's not some, it's not one of these impermanent experiences. Sometimes the, the Buddha will say, the fifth aggregate called consciousness is actually an impermanent series of mind moments. So, um, this is a little bit of a trickier point. So, here we're not talking about that um, causal series of conscious moments. We're talking about the true nature of these causal moments of consciousness. But if that sounds too um, complex, let's just say this awareness present right now. It may be the causal series of ordinary consciousness, um, or it may be the uh, unchanging space of awareness. Actually, these are not really two different things. It's just that the unchanging space of awareness um, takes form as this kind of individual stream of conscious moments. I would propose that whether we call it just um, the fifth aggregate of consciousness, in reality, and looking more deeply, what that is, is just actually um, an unchanging awareness. We can check this out for ourselves in all different experiences, constantly changing, never a moment the same. Our experiences are changing. Uh, Is there an awareness present? at the same time, that's not changing. Almost like, it's like, uh, all the changing experiences are happening in the space of awareness. Big space. If this was the case, this is a story we could tell. But if it's the case that there's an awareness that's really always the same, and we can explore this experientially, each of us ourselves, then it started to get sound closer to something like, um, dare we say unconditioned. Conditioned means um, things arise dependent on conditions, and when those conditions change, they cease. So, conditioned and impermanent uh, are not exactly the same, but they always go together. So, um, here we're talking about something that's not impermanent; it's not changing. Uh, and uh, therefore, um, could it be that it's not conditioned? It's not. Uh, it's it's not arising dependent on anything. It's not actually arising. This awareness. If it's arising and ceasing, then um, it's just another experience. Could it be that there's a there is an unchanging space of just knowing? presence. That's not coming and going, and is not um, doesn't change dependent on conditions. And there, there are um, conditions, this was this, like, reflection on karmic causality, there's cause and effect happening, but that's happening in the space of unchanging awareness everything that's ever happened to us is happening. We could say in awareness, or we could say everything that's ever happened is known by awareness. Isn't it (laughs) like that? I mean, if anything's happening, there must be an awareness of it happening. Otherwise we'd have no memory of it. We'd have no knowledge of it. There must, if, if, if like there's a, um, if there's a pain in my knee, for example, there must be an awareness of that or I wouldn't know about it, right? And here we're talking about uh, distinguishing the uh, this space of unchanging awareness from its content that's like the pain in the knee and um, the realm of cause and effect and impermanent experiences arising and ceasing. All that stuff is like the content happening in the space of awareness, inseparable from the space of awareness in this story, all the conditioned experiences are impermanent and therefore ultimately dissatisfying and uh and they're not really my true self, I don't need to identify with that stuff happening. This body and mind experiences, I don't have to identify with that stuff as myself. Um, but it seems to be how I often do think of myself. So this self, this like illusory separate self that I feel myself to be is also appearing in this space of unchanging awareness. That's why I can be aware of feeling like I'm a limited human being. There's an awareness of that sense of being kokyo as an individual person, that sense of being kokyo. It's a conditioned sense. It's happening in this big, unconditioned, unchanging space of awareness that is always here. Here. It can't be lost. We're always aware. But it also tricky thing is it can't exactly be found either. Strange is it? this realm recalling awareness, it can't be lost, it's always present, but it can't be found as another experience. But it's also can't be denied. It's isn't undeniable that we are aware, we just when we look to see what is this awareness that's present right now, we can't really say exactly what it is and we can't get a hold of it. But uh, we could explore um, the possibility that if this awareness is actually unconditioned and not impermanent, it's um, ever present, unchanging, could it be that it's also free, from discontent, at the same time as I, the person, am not quite content. Another way to say this, maybe more experientially is, there's an awareness of my discontent right now, and your discontent, right? And if you kind of like, um, tease these apart a little bit, in order to talk about them, I'd say there's a discontent, there's discontent, and then there's just this pure being aware of the discontent. And we could see that being aware that awareness is not itself discontent, right? It's just awareness of discontent. And therefore, um, we could speak of this, this ordinary present awareness as um, unconditioned peace and freedom and contentment. Without having to change the conditioned, discontent, impermanent human person. They're inseparable. They're, They're inseparable. But there's a realm of total freedom that we all share all the time. at the same time as there is a conditioned human person. This would be nice, I think, to talk about together. Um, I think we have a question and answer time, but do we stop the talk first or do we just go right into that? We usually, stop mm-hmm. a couple of announcements and then go into question and answer. Let's do that. Yeah, okay. let's do that. So, if if because I, I don't know if you if all this sounds like huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So that's why I have to hear from you. Um, but let's we'll, we'll do the closing chant and then anyone who wants to stick around on the um, on the screen. And, uh, you all, um, don't have a choice.